smoking section. Here we are, another episode of season four with Smoking Section Podcast. We have here, uh, my, as my friend called it, a big get. We have here with us a three-time BMI Songwriter of the Year, a two-time ACM Songwriter of the Year, a three-time CMA Triple Play Award recipient. For those of you who don't know what a CMA Triple Play Award means, that this guy got six number ones <laughs> in a 12-month period. Uh, he has written 29 number one hits from Dirk Bentley to Brad Elgin to Darius Rucker, you name it, he's probably been in the room with him. And he's produced him. Uh, Ross Copperman, how are you, sir? I'm good, Marcus. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Thanks for coming on. This is a pleasure. This is an honor. Um, so we're, just, we're gonna start right here because you're from Virginia. I have family in Virginia right now. Right. Yeah, they, we, we're, I'm rich from Philadelphia, so uh, Virginia is just not for me, but just for my family. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So, so, so let's talk about, what was childhood like for Ross Copperman in Virginia? I grew up in a small town in Roanoke, Virginia, man. I went to a small high school, Glenver High School, and I lived that country life that I write songs about, you know, and um, played football, and um, but I you, did, yeah. You played football? <laughs> yeah. What position did you play? Center, uh, starting <laughs> center. Starting center. My whole career, I weighed 165 pounds, but I could bench press like 250. Oh. So I, I was a little, I was kind of a little stronger then, but I still got run over a lot. A lot of big nose guards running me over. <laughs> Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. I can only imagine your mom sitting on the sidelines like, oh my God, don't Marcus. hit my baby. My don't hit my still, She still talks about it, Marcus. She hated it. She hated it. She was, don't hit his hand. Don't oh, hurt his hands. Don't hurt his like, hands. Piano. So it was like my right. hands were the thing. I'd jam a finger and I couldn't play piano for three weeks. And Oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God. You giving your mother heart attacks. Come on. Now. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, she really did. She really did, Marcus. So you started playing piano. You were, uh, you've been playing it, piano what, since you were three? Yeah, about three, just banging on it. So was that something, obviously, I don't know if that, I doubt that was something that you decided to do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so does music run in your family? Like, is that, it's like, is that what, is that what it was? Like this music? It does it, man. You know what? It probably was my, my grand, my mother's mother who I never met. She actually mm-hmm. died in a car accident when she was a 16 year old girl. I never met her, but she was a professional. She was a classical pianist and she played Rachmaninoff and Beethoven and all these pieces. And so my mom grew up with that in her household. And I guess when I started tinkering on the piano, it probably brought back those feelings for her. And so she thought I'm going to cultivate this. And so that probably just had that realization. And that's probably why my mom pushed me into piano and probably bring back those feelings, you know? Wow. So now I'm going to fast forward because I want to know this. You're from Virginia. How the hell did you start having an artist career in the UK? (laughs) Long story short, I started going to New York City and playing at the Bitter End, which was a little venue in the village. And I started playing songwriter shows there once a month, met some A&R people, got a development deal with RCA. That led to meeting some other people in the music industry. And then I got offered a record deal with Phonogenic Records in the UK, which was uh, Natasha Bedingfield's label at the time and the Mm -hmm. script. And these guys just said, I was 23 years old. They said, you want to move to London and, and put out a record? And I was a kid. 
I was, I was a young kid. I didn't know what I was doing. And I said, yes. And uh, it was a time of my life, but it was also the worst time of my life. It was, it was hard to move to a city. You don't know anybody. And I didn't know what I was doing. Thought I was better than I was. So many mistakes that, you know, that I've learned. So did you, so would you looking back now after all the success that you had, would you go back and do that? Would you like, would you, would, you, would if you, if you had, if you had, a, if, you had a, if you had a time travel box, would you, would you go back and relive those moments or go through the same thing again? Wow. Cause we always say, we always say to ourselves, if yeah. I didn't know now what I know then. Oh, we all, man, I, I would go back and I would take my wife with me. Okay. Okay. <laughs> with me. Cause if I had, if I had had my wife with me, it would have been, it would played out a completely different way. Wow. She's as much a part of my success as I am. She, right. Like I always feel like to, to do, you have to have that partner in your yeah. life, no matter what it is you're doing that supports you and somebody that I can't do it by myself. You know, I, I can't. She, yeah. She keeps you level-headed. She keeps me level-headed. Absolutely that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh God! It keeps you level. My album is called "Welcome to Reality." <laughs> She's always like, "Wow, if they could really welcome to reality, if they could really see the reality here." <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love, I love that. Yeah. I mean, uh, you, and you're absolutely right. You do. You always like there's, whether it's a best friend, whether it's a spouse, you need someone around exactly. to always be there for you and always keep you sane. hundred percent, hundred percent. And just somebody to be, everybody needs that. It could be your mom, could be, your yeah. dad, could be a sister or a brother. It could be, could be a pet. I mean, you just need that thing. I didn't have any, I didn't have any of that then. I was completely by myself. I thought I could do it by myself too. I didn't think I needed to write with other people. I thought I could write all these songs by myself. I didn't need to write with these other writers. Do you think, yes. do you think pride got in the way? Oh, it was all pride. It was, I was, you know, I was 23 years old. And I got a record deal. I was like, okay, wow, I'm, I'm doing it here. I'm, I'm going to be a rock star. And that's all I wanted to do was be a rock star. I wanted to be. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So pretty crazy. So when, so at what point did you decide to relocate back to, when back I to realized I wasn't a rock star when I realized <laughs> 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 when I, you know, I had, I had a couple of singles in the UK, a couple mm-hmm. semi hits and, but the singles kept charting. They're in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. They kept going the wrong way and, and not getting higher positions on the charts. And so it came time to shop it to the United States and we couldn't find a label that wanted to pick it up and take on the debt that the label had spent. And so I just, I was in a, not a great place at that time. Mm-hmm. I was not my best self. And I moved back to Virginia for about two months. I moved into my mom's house and probably my lowest point in my life. Cause I was kind of like, came back to Virginia to Roanoke, the little small town where I had, I had a record deal and everybody thinks that you've done all this great stuff. But in right. my mind, I was like a complete failure. I was like, I, I, I went over there and I, it didn't work. You know, it didn't, it didn't go to the, to the point right. of where, I, where I wanted this to go. And so why do you think that is? It was, you know, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. I didn't, I didn't have the right team around me. I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing. Mm-hmm. I wasn't good enough. Looking at myself as, as a producer now, seeing right. myself right. as an artist, I would have smacked me around so much. I would have just shook shook me, you know? Right. Kid, what are you doing? Like, don't, you know, I would have, yeah, looking back, we wish we, we knew now. Or we knew yeah. then. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. So, so I said that wrong. I wish I knew then. Well, I I that. So did I. So did I. So did I. <laughs> we both said it wrong. We both said it wrong. And then we're both, I'm keeping that in there because that's good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
But you know, I just always loved songwriting, Marcus. And I knew Nashville was the mecca of songwriting. I, I knew it was the mecca, and I wanted that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to write songs and produce records. And that's so I got in my Nissan Xterra and I drove to Nashville. And you done one hell of a job. <laughs> You've done one hell of a job. So what's been what's been the biggest sacrifice that you had to make? Because we because this becoming successful and becoming who you are, especially in this music career, you, we we wow. we've gone we go through life and become successful that we have to. There's things that we want to do or things that we don't want to let go of that we have to let go in order to move forward. So what's been the biggest sacrifice that you've made in wow. your career? Gosh, such a good question, man. It's a pretty deep question. Probably not having more time to to be with my family or to be with my parents because it's it's been all encompassing. It's a job that goes 24 seven, 365. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. if you're going to do it at the level, it really is. It's all you think about. I just, uh, sometimes I wish, sometimes I was like, man, let's throw it all away. It's, you know, it's yeah. my life, but I, I just, I do love doing it. It, it. It's my hobby and it's what I love doing. And so if you can make a living doing what you love doing, then that's, I think that's a cool thing. Yeah. It's, it's not, a, it's not a job at that point. It's not a job at that point. And whenever it starts to feel like a job, I, I do stop. I'm just like, I got to get away from for a minute. And, right. But that's, that's yeah. Cause there's a. I always tell people who don't know much about this industry, especially my family, because I always tell, I'm like, you, you don't understand that the music industry. I always wonder why I'm like, I say, I know I'm tired. I'm like, I'm exhausted. Like, you know, <laughs> well, what do you do? Like, you, I mean, you don't understand. The music industry is a, this is, you have, it's not a nine to five job. This is, it's not a nine to five career. You, your, your shift starts, as, even if you're like a manager, producer, or whatever in oh, this yeah, industry, man. your shift starts the time that you open your eyes. And it ends the time that you go to bed and you That's close your eyes. Social media, social yes. media now is added to it. It is the time you open your eyes. You're yeah. looking. You're, what do you have to do? Yeah, yeah. It's and it's kind of how it is. So you know, um, so true, man. It's just this is it's just a doggy dog you know, world. Most people, most jobs are nine to five. You come home at five o'clock. You don't think about that job until the five to nine. Right. You don't th- you but don't think about it with this job. It's like you might be finishing a song at eight thirty night you're doing something at 11 30 right before you go to bed thinking about what you're going to do the next day and then yeah or or, about, or, or yeah. having a recording st- session at 2 30 in the morning you know yeah. those those which things happen super fun which is super fun but yeah so we, we found out what you would change we found out what you would change you would bring your wife with you you would you, you know uh so let's talk about your sweet wife what's her name caitlin so when did you meet Caitlin? We met when we were 15 at, at Myrtle Beach at a teenage dance club. No shit. <laughs> yeah. No shit. I was wearing jean shorts, a t-shirt, and a gold chain. Ah, kind of what I'm wearing right now. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you look a lot cooler than I do. Right? Yeah, probably. That, that, yeah, it's all right. It's, you know, I'm, I'm the Will Smith and you the Tommy Lee Jones of Men in Black. So I, I make this look good, you, you know? <laughs> and you make it look good. Exactly. You make it look good. <laughs> I was trying to look like you. Uh, <laughs> that's not wrong. I mean, that's not a bad idea. It's not a bad. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's not a bad idea. All right. So, um, you've been married. You've been married for how long? Uh, eleven years. And this this month. eleven years. How many kids? Three kids. Oh boy. Okay. So I'm sure that is your biggest accomplishment is those three kids. Oh yeah. My daughter Iris is downstairs playing piano. She's she's a better songwriter than I am. And I, how old I is she? Her. She's nine years old and like truly better than I am. Like, I mean, when I was nine, I was 
barely know how to tie my shoes, probably. I mean, what were we doing when we were nine years old? You know? Yeah, I can't remember why I was doing nine years old. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's just amazing to see that. Like see yeah, to see kids these days are so talented. Yeah, it's uh it's it's kind of crazy though, because you know, kids nowadays they have I feel like kids nowadays are more advanced than what we were. I agree, dude. One hundred percent. You know, 100%. at our at their age, where they're they're so far, and I yeah. that, that's technology, that's social media, that's everything. But I, that's it's everything. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like they're just so they're just so far so far advanced at us. Um. So let's talk about the ZP. Somewhere there's a light on. Let's talk about it. <laughs> so here's my question. So you've you've had twenty nine number one hits. You've produced <laughs> number one albums. You have CMAs, ACMs, BMI awards. So <laughs> why did you do this? <laughs> why, <laughs> why did you decide to go back to the artistry? That's a, it's such a great question, man. It's like, why would I put myself through this again? Like the grind and the hustle. Yeah. It's because, you know, maybe part of me, the fire never died in me, man. Once, once you, you do the artist thing, I am an artist mm-hmm. and I've been an artist the last 12 years in Nashville through other rec are the other artists records and, and doing that. But the fire never went away from me. And I never felt like I got to actually fulfill that dream of mine mm-hmm. when I did it in London. And so I'm in a, such a better place as a human being. I'm in a place now where I can do it from a healthy place and put out songs that I feel are meaningful to me. And I know who I am now, 38 years later, a lot of therapy and a lot of self-work and know and, and being confident about it and um, feel like I have something to say and studying great artists for the last 15 years, producing great artists and learning from Dirks Bentley and Kenny Chesney and Keith Urban, learning about well, what are these guys and girls doing that make them great artists and soaking that up. Mm-hmm. So I've soaked up a lot in the last 15 years, you know, and has, taking them home. Has your, so, cause I'm looking at it, all the, all these rights, cause you have a right with uh, Ed Sheeran on here, which we'll talk about and what, and Shane McAnally and Emily Wiseman. So I'm looking at all these things, but I, I want to know because I'm, I'm sure these are people that you write with on a kind of a kind of a regular basis. Yeah. Um, yeah. So how is the process? Is the process different from your writing process different from when it comes to you go in a room writing for you, go in a room writing for an artist? Is that different? You know, I haven't changed that yet. I just go into a room and we I've always just tried to write the best song in the room. And I've never gone into a room saying, let's write for me today because still the best thing to do is to write a song for the biggest artist possible. Mm-hmm. That's the reason I write songs is for the most people to hear my song mm-hmm. possible. So if Blake Shelton is going to record my song, then then it's always Blake Shelton's song first. You know, that's always mm-hmm. my MO. And so sad. that's that's not going to change for me, you know. Um, yeah. I find it I find it great. You mentioned Blake Shelton and I find it great that uh He's had two recent number ones yeah. with his fiance, his future wife, yeah. Gwen, Gwen Stefani. And for those of you who don't know this, uh, those songs, both of those songs were co-written by you. Yeah. <laughs> I did not. Here's Humor. the thing. I, I didn't know that. I didn't know that until I looked it up and I'm like, are you shitting me? Because I love those songs. And I'm like, are you shitting me? He, they they did. He released two songs. Boy, first of all, it's kind of unheard of for a couple to release two songs back to back unless they're doing like a duet album or I something know, it's like that. Crazy. So that was kind of unheard of, first of all. That's the first thing. But then to have those two songs go number one back to back. It's yeah. crazier. But what's the craziest part is that it was written <laughs> by the same guy. <laughs> I, what was that like? 
you know, the songs were written about a year and a half or so apart, but I like thinking about Blake when I write a lot. And I like thinking about their love story. I think about that, Gwen and Blake. And I think, what would what would a grown man like Blake like to say to his wife, future wife Gwen? And what would she like? I like thinking in that way. You know, it helps me. And so writing those songs, we were channeling those love stories, you know? Mm-hmm. Oftentimes I think about Keith and Nicole and I think about what would Keith at this point in his life like to say to Nicole, mm-hmm. you know, a mature love song. That's kind of what I've been trying to do with my EP is write a pop, write pop songs that are easily digestible for everyone. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I have a hard time relating to Lil Yachty or like Lil Xan or like little new pop songs. That I'm like, I don't know what they're talking about. Right. You know what I mean, right. I don't know this language even. I'm a 38 year old dude that coaches soccer on the weekends for my <laughs> five year old girl. You know what I mean? So I like easily digestible pop songs and, and, and those songs for Blake and Gwen were that were just that for me. It, I, it's, it's just crazy. I mean, uh, it's funny that you mentioned that the, the way that you do that and go into that mindset, because I just had a conversation with uh, Rusty Gaston about how, you know, Ooh, uh, he, I know, I, I know. <laughs> uh, we talked about how he 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 likes it. He, he thinks it's OK to for writers to go in the room and write with artists. Uh, but he when you, when you look back at the artists, like great artists, they their their biggest songs are not written by them. It's written by songwriters. Yeah. yeah. So it's like he he loves the he loves that idea, but he loves the, he he only loves the idea for people to start start for his writers to start the relationships with the artists so they can get to know the artists. Get to know. You know it's funny, artists. Marcus. Now that I'm back in the artist seat, I've realized when you're writing a song and thinking about yourself as the artist, you self sabotage it a lot because you overthink. Mm-hmm. I've seen so many artists do this. Oh. Would I say that? Is that me? And then, and then the song gets jumbled up, and it's not as great as it can, it can be. So that's, I think, that's the explanation a lot of times for that. Unless, I mean, Ed Sheeran, one of the greatest songwriters to ever exist. Right. He, but when he's writing a song, I've I've been with him. He writes three songs in a session. He writes them quickly, doesn't overthink, writes it, finishes it, closes the book, on to the next one, on to the next one. So he's not thinking, oh, would I say this? Is that is this? Melody, something I would sing. He writes it onto the next one, and I feel like that's truly the most effective way. Just go in there and have a free mind. A free just free mind. Just write. Just, just write. don't let yourself sabotage it. I've seen it so many times. I do it when I'm in a session. I'm like, oh, this is starting to feel like something that I might want to right. put out. I start sabotaging it, overthinking it. Hold on, maybe this isn't the right chorus. Like maybe the melody should be better. Or and you sabotage it. Wow. It's, it's kind of that blink reaction. You go with your first. Blink Blink, like that that first melody we did that was it that was fire you know it's to go along with the instincts Let's go with your instinct exactly. go with your gut trusting yeah. your instincts going with your gut and not letting the little voice in your head fuck so you that, over. It applies to daily life, man. Right. It's that little voice. It's your dark side that is just t- telling you you're not good enough. You can't do that. You can't sing that song. You can't do this. You, you're, you know, people don't think they don't take you seriously. You're a fraud. All these little things. You just got to like shut those out, you know? So you, you mentioned Ed Sheeran. Now we're going to get to that song because we're going to we're going to talk about electricity. There's there's three songs on here that I that I just fucking love. Um, so so but we're going to we're going we're gonna to talk about this uh, electricity. But first of all, one, how the hell did you get in the room with Ed Sheeran? That's the first thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
that's the it first was always thing. my dream. It he was is, always my dream. I, he is no no bullshit. I and I've been to a lot of concerts. Um, I I went to his concert drunk or buzz <laughs> or buzzed. We're, we're we're gonna say buzz for public eye, for public eye, ears. Uh, I went to his concert buzz in Nashville. In Nashville, this was his first headlining tour. And at oh, Bristol, not at, at the stadium. No, at Bridgestone Arena. Bridgestone, yeah. And we were on the floor. We were on the floor, and no bullshit. I he got up on that stage, and I sobered up after second song because because yeah, you're like you realize what, what greatness you're witnessing yes right? you're like yes i'm in the presence of great i'm like i'm sitting there like holy and i'm like when you can make he made seventeen thousand people and he said all right oh. everybody, i need everybody to be quiet on this so, so like really listen to the song imagine when that dude's sitting in a room with you singing she is electricity oh i'm like my God. <laughs> what was that what was that you just did dude I, literally that happened. I was like, okay, I'm going to leave now. <laughs> okay. Man. Well, I was like, why, why am I here? Okay. Uh, Man, I, sober, I sobered up. Cause it's like, I just felt. Yeah. So moved, yeah, man. So moved. He, he, he is a moving human being, dude. It's he, like he, his talent is it's ridiculous. It, it's got to be what it's like seeing, you know, with seeing Paul McCartney or seeing, yeah, Michael Jackson yeah. or like seeing that level of greatness. And know? then when you see it and, he, and you realize that, oh shit, he doesn't have a band. It's just <laughs> him and a damn loop pedal. Like, are you shitting me? I am. <laughs> It's unbelievable. He's, he's, it's ridiculous. Uh, so let's talk about the experience because you just talked about how you were just like, like this is yeah. one of, this is one of your goals. It's what like he was one of the greatest of all time in in, in this industry. From the one greatest of all time, dude, hundred percent. So what was that experience like? What was the and what was the the inspiration going into this with with electricity? It was just humbling, man. I showed up with a guitar, my laptop, and I had some tracks ready to go to play for him. And I just sat down and we we we. He videoed the whole session. He had a camera rolling the whole time. So there's video footage of us writing all these songs, actually, somewhere in the world. But it's just, um, man, humbling. We wrote 12 songs together while he was in Nashville in about three weeks. His goal was to have a number one country song. So I was like, Ed, let me me help you do that. Uh So I called Kenny Chesney. I called Kelsey Ballerini. I called Sam Hunt, Thomas Rhett. I had all these artists like flying in from California to come meet us to write for a day. Wow. Kelsey took the red eye back from, from LA and we wrote a song called Love and Hate, which is on her last album together. I did um, not know he that y'all wrote that. Holy shit. Yeah. And tip of my tongue with Kenny Chesney. Yes. Yes. Kenny, Kenny was in town and he drove over and, and wrote with us. And we wrote three songs. We wrote three Kelsey songs too. We wrote three songs with each artist. And, and oh, so I'm still sitting on this batch of songs that they're still like these some of the greatest songs I have. Has the has the Thomas Rhett song come out yet? <laughs> we didn't get to do a Thomas song and it eats him alive. Thomas has since written with it. Thomas was out of town and couldn't make it. Right. No, it was Thomas's wife's birthday. The day that we were supposed to write, Thomas had to bail because he, he felt like he felt like he had to be there for his wife's birthday. And Kenny Chesney came, was available and came that day and we wrote that song. And, I but, bet, I but bet Thomas I, has since written with him. I bet Laura, if she ever listens to this podcast, I bet she's like, she's finding out the story about, oh shit, are you she shitting was, me? You know what? She was like, wow. I have the best husband in the world. Yeah. <laughs> he, chose, 
He chose me over Ed Sheeran, oh, which, is, <laughs> which is a true testament to Thomas. You know what I mean? Like because Ed is Thomas, one of Thomas's favorites. You know? Yeah, yeah. He's like, he's a huge he's a huge Thomas Red and Bruno Mars, uh, um, Ed Sheeran and Bruno Mars fan. Which, by the way, like the day I after I wrote with Ed, mm-hmm. I find out that Bruno Mars and Chris Stapleton came over to the house and wrote with him. <laughs> They wrote that song. That I wrote was that on, song uh, that was on his, his duets album. On the duets album, yeah. yeah. I was like, oh, I didn't get the call for that day. Okay. <laughs> could you imagine? <laughs> oh, I couldn't have imagined being there for that, man. Can you imagine being in that room? <laughs> Bruno, Bruno, I mean, I mean, I can't imagine. Um, so let's talk uh, also now. So we have now the, the next song that I want to talk to you about because you got two other greats in this town who has yeah. helped Kelsey Ballerini and helped, sure. you know, uh, Sam Hunt, uh, Shane McAnally yeah. and Josh Osborne. And you guys wrote two Somewhere the, There's a Light On. Two of the greatest to ever do this, not only in our format, you know, for of, yeah. of all time, in yeah. all formats, those two. Yeah. And we wrote that song probably three years ago. And this that title was everything for me. That title was, is like my life motto. Like that title is why I left London. Somewhere There's a Light On. I, I knew somewhere out there there was there was something a light mm-hmm. burning somewhere for me it wasn't mm-hmm. there though and like I, my goal in my music is to inspire people to feel like if you know when that voice in their head tells them they're not good enough that uh-huh. you are good enough and there is there is good out there you know and and so we wrote that song and it got really close to getting cut by a few artists you know Kenny Chesney's record label really wanted it for him it was never it, it never kind of crossed that line and it just kind of was sitting around for a long time and I always just knew that that was that was like my song all these all these years i was kind of i was kind of hoping it wouldn't get cut secretly right right Um, and then i I just felt like it had to be the name of this ep it just it was everything for me so now 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 you just you just had a question popped in my head for this so you talk about getting the cuts and you talk about getting you you know the songs with with artists what's the song what's the song that you have gotten cut that wasn't a single that you wish was a single or you thought should have been a single so many there's so many man (laughs) There's so many. I don't even know where to start. I mean, there's a song on Kenny Chesney's last album called Everyone She Knows. Yes. Me, Shane, and Josh wrote it, and we think it's maybe the best song we've ever written. Everyone She Knows. It, it's Wow. It was it was going to be a single. It never happened. I'm not sure why, but that's, that, I think, is maybe the best song we've ever written. I, I love that song. Um, as you can tell, I am a huge fan. I am a huge Ross Copperman fan, if you guys can't tell. Oh. Uh, <laughs> uh, I love that song. There's a lot of songs that I feel like Kenny, Kenny has put on his albums that could have gone, that could have been he, singles. It, but that just shows what a good song guy Kenny Chesney is. He yeah. chooses the best songs in town, and guess what? He doesn't write them. And guess yes. what? He's also one of the best songwriters in this town. Wow! But he knows that pick the best songs. Pick the best songs. And, that's what if it you comes pick to. the best songs, you sell it. You sell a couple T-shirts at a stadium. You're gonna make more money than if you had written the song. Exactly. And you get the, you know. Exactly. Exactly. So, what's your favorite? What's your favorite song off this EP? Oh, oh man, it might actually be therapy, just because really? it's so, so different, and it's just I feel like I'm in a video game. Like I just love how the verses just wrap, kind of wrapped, and landing on your love is my therapy. Therapy. Oh, I just it's. That song is just so different for me, and I just I've always loved it. And so now you're doing the artist thing. You're still doing the songwriting thing, obviously. Yeah, but yeah. as an artist and as a songwriter, is there someone that you want to work with that you 
haven't worked with yet? Uh, yeah, so many. Chris Martin would be my I mean, I, I would just like shrivel up and melt into oh, wow. a puddle. But wow. yeah, or, I mean, there's so many. I mean, I'd love to work with Ryan Tedder. Um, yeah, you need to set that up with Jimmy. Um. <laughs> yeah, Jimmy, they're boys, right? Yeah, they're boys. They, they Jimmy, are boys. Jimmy is tied in, man. Yeah, Jimmy, you, you need to set that up. <laughs> There's so many. Yeah, Chris. That's, that's crazy. So, so, um, are you happy with how how successful you become, or 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 or? And I mean that like not in the way where like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm tourism happy. But like, are you happy with it, or it's like, is there always a want for more out of it? Oh, always, always, I want more. I always don't feel like I've done enough. You know, it's hard when I'm comparing myself to my friends like Ashley Gorley, who's written 54 number one songs. Yeah, I'm like, well, God, Ashley's got okay. I need to get to 50 then, and then I can, and then I. Can can like okay. and then when Ashley gets to 60, you'd be like, I need to get and to 60. Is 60 and then, you know, it's like, what is happening here? It's like, yeah. So there's never there's never a moment where I'm like, oh, I'm done it here. I've, I'm constantly I'm, I'm never like stop, which is not good. But I do never you, stop to celebrate anything. Do you stay in tune with like new new artists and new writers coming in town? And oh and, my gosh, yeah. So who's been who? What, what's a new writer? What's a new writer? Not necessarily an artist, but what's a new? Who's a new writer that you you're like this person has it? Like this person is going to be a fucking rock star. They may and they may not have had a number one hit yet or not or or even a cut yet. Yeah, you know, I actually wrote with this kid today named Graylin James. The first time I ever Yeah, met he wrote uh, Knowing You for Kenny. He, he did. I'd never met this guy and I was just like blown away. You know, the talent, the talent of these young writers is just, is mind blowing. This yeah, kid's like, it's it's a crazy, it's funny, it's, it's funny you say that because there's a crazy story about him uh, and how he, it was a full circle for him to have this single because he met Kenny yeah. when he was young. Oh yeah, he talked about that. Uh-huh, he met Kenny when he was young because it went viral on like TikTok. He met Kenny when he was young and now it's like it was and now like or at a concert or something like that back when I think Kenny was just like starting out or Kenny was you know was just starting to be that huge phenomenon that he is now. Oh wow. And and now he's he was like that was like who he wanted to be. He wanted to be Kenny Chesney. And wow. now it's like you have what I think that's is so cool. what I think is probably Kenny's next number one hit. Absolutely. On your record and, and like that's the person that's the idol you you've had how cool is that how yeah cool is that yeah like life is like like you know like this music industry is definitely especially in this town it's so easy to be able to be to get close yeah. to your your idol and get in a room with i just, I just did a song called half my hometown i wrote it and produced it with kelsey ballerina yeah yeah. She just put the video out today. And I just watched it. And it's all about how she grew up in Knoxville mm -hmm. going to the Kenny Chesney concert. You know, we wrote that song. She looked up to Kenny, you know, yeah. we wrote that song down at the beach. We called Kenny. We're like, Ken at midnight, Kenny, you got to sing on this because it's about Knoxville, half your hometown. And they, it, it's the same kind of story. And now yeah. they're singing this song together and like it's mind blown. It's she insane. was the same way. She was a little girl growing up listening to Kenny. Yeah. Yeah. Wanted to play the arena in Knoxville like he was. You know? I, I freaked out when I met Kenny. Kenny was my first country concert. That's amazing. And I freaked out. I uh, I was at, I was not supposed to be there. Don't do this, people. Um, I, <laughs> I snuck into, um, I snuck into the uh, number one party for uh, Everything's Gonna Be Alright with him and David Lee Murphy. Wow. And snuck in there. I used his, I used EB. I used EB's name to get in. Uh, uh <laughs> 
<laughs> she, they, you know, they called her and she, they, she got me in. She let me go in, and I was standing next to someone, and Kenny was right in front of me, and I said, 15 year old Marcus is doing cartwheels right now, standing this close to Kenny Chesney," and I didn't realize that he heard me because we thought we were whispering to each other about it. And he turns around, and he goes, "Hi, I'm Kenny," and I'm like, "Oh, that is my amazing, God. Marcus. Yeah. That's amazing." Yeah, yeah. I so it's so easy to get get in the room or get or get to that level where you're I want to say easy but like it's it's more common in this town it is you're right it's like a fake reality like, yeah 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 so listen I don't want to take too much of your morning time yeah. I want to I want to yeah. thank you for coming on Marcus you're awesome man I, enjoy, I love talking to you I, I, I love I love having you on here let's we're gonna we need to do this again I definitely want to have you on maybe in person next time sure uh, with the cigars with I'm, some I'm, cigars I'm, we'll make it happen uh so seriously thank you so much this has been a tremendous episode um thank you for coming on thank you for everything you do for encouraging new writers and thank you for uh putting out music and speaking to people who just need to hear the songs because i'm sure that that's what every songwriter wants to do yeah thank you for saying that that's Uh, it that's everything for me yeah so i appreciate that um this has been another episode of spoken section podcast with the one the only 29 number one hits and now not gonna say new artists but relaunching his artist career ross copperman y'all go check out his new music all right thanks thanks marcus perfect